Heavenly Father, speak to us now through your spirit. Let us be open to your word, willing and eager to receive what you would teach us and make us more like Christ. For his honor and glory and in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to our 11 a.m. service. You know, this day, it's interesting that it falls in the midst of Ecclesiastes. We have been talking about everything being hevel, everything being futile. Uh, You don't get a gain from it. If you look back at the history of daylight saving time, you will see it enacted during wartime of World War I, reenacted by the government after World War II, with a basic premise that if we have more daylight, we can get more done, we can save money. There's an economic factor behind this, which now, basically every study that I read when I was looking for this, does nothing. In fact, it might do the opposite. It may actually harm us just a little bit Um, because of the longer hours that we're using air conditioning for, and it's it's hevel. Daylight saving time is hevel. Um, It is something that our entire nation almost is forced to do, and yet is not actually accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. Now, for me, I used to love this day. I mean, this is the day you get an extra hour of sleep, right? And then I had kids. You don't get an extra hour of sleep anymore. You get less because their biological clocks don't reset just because you move your time clock back a little bit. They are still up at the same time. It's just earlier. I think the government should come take care of my kids on this day. Even my dog got up at the wrong time. It is hevel. That is what we're talking about. Those things under the sun that are futile fleeting. They don't last. They don't give you everything you might want. And so far, we've looked at a couple of them, and I'm just going to be up front right now. We are not going to do the book of Ecclesiastes justice. We just need a lot more weeks to do it. There are so many different things that Kohelet goes through to show this is Hevel, and this is Hevel, and this is Hevel. We just can't cover all of them. Today, we're going to cover one last one before we move next week to the positive part of the book. We're going to cover one last topic that I am sure every person in this room will relate intimately to. You have struggled with this. You may be struggling with it right now. Of all of the topics in the book, this may be one in particular in America, in Western culture, that we are just overrun by. Today we're going to talk about time. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I thought about having Trey sing the song, but we didn't have time to rehearse, so you can just get it going in your head. You know, everybody turn, turn, while we read this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 
And here is the one statement that will drive the next eight verses. There is an order to God's universe. When we were studying stewardship, we looked back at Genesis 1, and we looked a little at the way in which God created things, and what he did is he took something that was formless and had nothing in it, and he gave it form and filled it. And every time that he gave it form and he filled things, he would say, it's good, and that good was not a moral evaluation, like good versus evil. It was a, that is what I intended for you to do. You are right where I want you. There was an order to it. The order has continued. The order didn't fall away when we fell in the garden. There's still order in God's universe. That's what he's getting at. Verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everything, every matter, he's covering everything. Uh, He's getting all that you can do. Various activities that we might do on this globe. He says, for all of those things, there's a season and a time. The two words are basically synonymous. A season, a time. But here's an important point to them. They don't reflect the way that we most often think of time. I have a meeting between 8 and 9. Do you ever have something like that? And I need to be done by 9. I mean, that's my timing. I've got this very specific duration of time. In fact, my whole life seems to be that. This morning, I'm supposed to preach 30 minutes. (laughs) Right. But that's it. I've got 30 minutes. I mean, that's how we think of time. Here... It's not about a specific duration. Rather, it's an open period centered on an event. The event is determining the season. We're not arbitrarily saying you have one hour to meet with this person at Starbucks and talk. And when it's nine o'clock, you have to stop. This is, you have a meeting. And however long the meeting goes, that determines the time frame. There is a time frame. There's an appropriate season for everything that's happening. And then he starts through with 28 different things. And there's spectrums. A time to be born over here and a time to die over here and everything in between. There are seasons for this. A time to plant and to pull up what was planted. There's a particular season. There's a time for this that God has ordered. That at some point, you should go and plant And at some point, you should pick it back up. A time to kill and to heal. Uh, A a time to wound. There actually is a time for that. But there's also a time where you're supposed to be preserving life. There's a time for both. To break down and build up. To weep and to laugh. There's a time. There's an appropriate time to weep. Even as there's an appropriate time to have fun to laugh, to enjoy. God has ordered it that way. There's appropriate times for these things. To mourn and to dance, to cast away stones and to gather stones. There's a number of interpretations on what that may mean, just their opposites for for our sake. To embrace and to refrain from embracing. Um, I, I talked with somebody very briefly this morning who's going through something hard. And I told her, I said, you're going to get a lot of hugs today because there's a number of people that know you're going through something. 
there's a time to embrace. A time to seek and to lose. Man, I wish I knew that one. Do you ever lose something? And you look and you look and you look and you're not finding it. And you just love to know. You'd love for God to go, okay, you can stop looking now. You're not going to find it. Instead, you go another 30 minutes, hour, whatever, and you still don't find it. Because there was a time to just let it go. Gosh, I wish I knew that time. There's a time Time to keep and to cast away, to tear and to sow, to silence and to speak. Wouldn't you love to know that? Man, I'd love to know that time when I need to shut up. 30 minutes, I know it's what it is. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. God has established that there are appropriate times for these things to happen. And and not only that, he will say, look down at verse 11. We're going to skip just a little bit for a moment. He's made everything beautiful in its time. This is God's ordering. This is God saying, there's a point where I want you to mourn. Don't fight it. Don't try to ignore it. Don't just try and race through it, but let it happen. There's a point where it is appropriate and beautiful and wonderful to mourn. Let that mourning happen. Everything that God has established is beautiful in its time. And God has established it. Picture it like this. Imagine a puzzle. 500 pieces. You pull all the pieces out. Each one fits, right? It fits in a certain spot, and it's meant to fit there. And as you put a little portion together, you see a bigger picture of something. Even if you have a whole thing together, they all fit together, and they're meant to be there. They're making that picture. God says these various times that he's established that are appropriate, they are painting pictures in our lives. And they're appropriate and beautiful and good. However, there is a huge problem. And everybody in this room knows it. You know the problem. When? When is that time? Have you ever done, um, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Have you ever thought, do I take this job or not? Do I go to this person's house right now or not? Do I go and talk to this person or not? How many times have you had a question in your mind of, is it the right time to do this? But you got no answer. Just felt silence. You're asking the question, you're praying, you're seeking, and it is silence. Well, keep reading. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? He's asked this question before. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We covered that in the first um, sermon, if you, want to, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to that sermon. It's the same line from chapter 1. He has also made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Now, first, I want to deal with a bad interpretation of that. This passage has been used to say everybody has a God-shaped hole in their heart. 
that basically all people, God put in them a need for him. And when we don't find that, we're missing something. That may be true, but that's not this. That's not what he's talking about. Eternity is a look at the grander picture of time. God has put into all of us the desire to see the whole puzzle. We feel it. We want it. We are not satisfied with just this moment. I want to know what's going to happen here. I want to know how this back here impacted this over here. Do you have that desire? God has put that in us. Like a desire to get that bigger picture, to understand why is this happening? I want to know where it's going. Why do I have to go through this? Whatever it is for you, this sickness, this unknown, this struggle with my child, whatever it is, why am I going through it? How does it play in? What is the bigger picture? We want that. And God has actually placed it in us. But, and here's the problem, and here's why Kohelet is so frustrated. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. But we can't get the answer. Here is the problem. We inherently want to understand. We want to know it. We want to see the entire puzzle put together so that we can go, okay, I can go through this moment. I know what's going to here. I can go through what this is because it makes sense. Oh, I know why I had to go through that because it did this. We want to see that. And yet here's what God has done. God has handed you a 10,000-piece puzzle of a clear blue sky without the front of the box. Is that what your life feels like sometimes? I mean, you can get the corners. There are like four of them. You can kind of start working on some of the border. You get a little bit here and a little bit here, but most of it is just kind of a mess, and you're going, I don't get it. The best we tend to get is a little bit puts together, and in hindsight, we sometimes look back and go, oh, I kind of see what might have been happening here, but I still don't know what it means for this right here. The weather has been interesting. And when you've got kids and it's supposed to rain on Halloween, they get very upset by that. And so Saturday, yesterday, we're driving. My daughter goes, please let me look at the weather. I got to know if it's going to rain tonight or not. And so I give her the app and she's looking through, you know, the hourly weather forecast. Like, oh, oh, okay, it looks like it's not going to rain. And it got me thinking about two things. Number one, is there any other career on the planet where your main responsibility, you can be wrong every single day and keep your job? I mean, could you imagine like a FedEx delivery guy who delivered packages to the wrong house every single day? Who would not have a job very long? A doctor who gave the wrong diagnosis to most of his patients? An airplane pilot who came over the intercom and said, oops. I mean, but that's exactly what, I mean, the weather changes like in the middle of the day. It's like it was this, now it's this, now it's this, now it's this. They seem to be constantly wrong. And yet, that's about how good we are with the future. I mean, we make our plans, 
We do the best we can. We put everything in place. We save. We make some wise decisions. We still can't force the future to be what we want it to be. It still seems to be shifting on us almost daily. And yet, like my daughter, we want to understand it. We want it laid out. Give us hour by hour, God, what's going to happen? If I take this step, what's the next step going to be? Or if I don't take this step, what's my next step going to be? We're not going to get it, guys. We're not going to get that. Now, I'll take a step back and say, every once in a while, God just breaks right in and he says, go do this. But I mean, even Paul in his missionary journeys, look over his three main missionary journeys, only one time out of three does God actually tell him where to go. The rest of them, there is no vision, there is no go to here. Paul just knows I'm supposed to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and there are Gentiles, I'm going. And you know how he decides the next city to go through? The next one in line. He doesn't pray and go, God, show me city by city where you want me to go. He just goes. Because God's normal modus operandi is not. Here it is. Step by step, everything you need to do and what your future is going to look like. Instead, it's us going, please, and him going, I'm not telling you that. Cool. That's hard. That's why he's frustrated. That's why through most of this book, he's like, it's a striving after the wind. I mean, this is just so frustrating. If he wouldn't have handed me the puzzle in the first place, I wouldn't be trying to put it together. But he did. He set it in me. And I just want to know it. So what do we do? If that's really how life is, if God has actually set up seasons, and God has said certain things are how I want them to be, and he's put in us a desire to know that and to move in it, but he's not going to tell us how to do it? What do we do? What's our response? I'm going to give you the most generic Christian response you can get. I mean, it's up there with love Jesus. Trust God. But I want to break it down. Okay? I don't want to leave it that big. I want to suggest three ways from this, three ways we can trust him, three ways we can take what is frustrating, what is hard. And if none of you relate to this, man, I wanted to talk with you. I want to know how like your whole life is planned out just the way you want it to work and everything is perfect for you. But if you feel this, if you are like Kohelet and you're going, I, I want to know more. I'm frustrated by the fact that I don't. I want to know how to make these steps. I want to give you three ways that I think we can trust God or at least work on trusting God. Number one, trust God with the way he sees time as opposed to the way that we do. Let me show you what I mean. This is an article from Business Insider, and it is about the way that different cultures view time. Right? For, and I'm just quoting. For an American, time is truly money. In a profit-oriented society, time is precious, even a scarce commodity. It flows fast, like a mountain river in the spring, 
And if you want to benefit from its passing, you have to move fast with it. Americans are people of action. They cannot bear to be idle. The past is over. The present you can seize, you can parcel, and you can package and make it work for you. In the U.S., you have to make more money, otherwise you're a nobody. If you have 40 years of earning capacity and you want to make $4 million, that means $100,000 per annual. If you have to achieve this in 250 working days, that comes to $400 a day or $50 an hour. With this orientation, Americans can say their time costs $50 an hour. Americans can talk about wasting, spending, budgeting, and saving time. Does that sound like us? I mean, we take all of our time and we go into these little compartments. There's this and there's this. I've got to make this much. I have to accomplish this much. We have all of our to-do lists. Now, you can't function in America without a little of that. What I'm about to read, I'm not suggesting you throw all that out. You have to have some of that or you will lose your job. You'll lose your home. I mean, it's, that's how we function in America. However, here's a different perspective. Spaniards, Italians, and Arabs will ignore the passing of time if it means that conversations will be left unfinished. For them, completing a human transaction is the best way they can invest their time. Imagine if you thought of time in that way. For an Italian, time considerations will usually be subjected to human feelings. Why are you so angry because I came at 9.30? Asked, he asks his German colleague. Because it says in my diary, 9 a.m., then why don't you write 9.30, and we'll both be happy. <laughs> the business we have to do and our close relations are so important that it is irrelevant at what time we meet. The meeting is what counts. Number one, see time more in the way God sees time, that the event is more significant than the time parameters. And I understand that can't always be true. I mean, hear me. I'm not trying to be unrealistic. You know, just tell your boss, I decided to come in at 10. I know it was 8, but I don't really care. I'm seeing God time like God does. Don't try that. And don't tell him I said to say that either. <laughs> However, when you are sitting with your family and you are thinking about what needs to be done next, you're thinking about, I've got to have this done at this point for this. Can you let some of that go? Can the event, the relationship, the conversation, can it be more significant than the time parameters? Because God, in this passage in Ecclesiastes, he's not viewing our little linear kind of 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m. He's looking at a time for this and a time for this. And in our lives, we would do well to trust God with some of those time frames and to say, I'm not going to cut it off just because my clock is cutting it off. I'm going to give myself to the moments. One of the biggest uh, aha moments for me in this was last year at Kira's end of the year uh, kind of concert that they did at school. Erin, my wife, couldn't make it to the concert, but I wanted her to see it. She had to work. And so I videoed the concert for her. We got done, and my daughter said, Daddy, what'd you think? And I had to lie to my daughter. I said, it was great, honey. You did so well. And then I had to go home and watch it. Because 
I was not in that moment at all. I didn't have a tripod to like set it up. All I thought I was, okay, I gotta get this for my wife. And I'm zooming in and out and I'm moving to different people and I'm trying to get all this in. I don't, I hardly saw the actual events. Oh yeah, it's on recording so I can go watch on a little tiny screen. But like actually being there for my daughter. Being in a moment and letting that moment be in you. That is one way that you can reconcile part of this time issue we're having. Number two, trust that God is working in your moments. Trust that whatever that either or is, because as we all know, sometimes we're on this side of the time and sometimes we're on this. Sometimes it's a time to mourn and sometimes it's a time to laugh. Trust God, no matter which time you are in, that he's actually doing something in it. Let a season happen instead of running from the season. We run from everything that is painful. We run from everything we don't understand. And sadly, we even run often from the good things because we're afraid to lose them. And so we're videoing them or we're looking to the future for when they're gonna end. How many times have you had a good thing happening and it got ruined because you thought about Monday when you have to go back to work? Because we're not trusting him with that time. And I'm not saying it's easy. Please don't hear that. Even if you are trusting him, you still have to make some difficult decisions, go through some hard things, but it's very different if you can take it and you can go, right now I'm in a season. Number one, this is not all my life. This is not everything that's going to be me forever. I'm in a season. And it's a hard season, I recognize that. But God has said, even in this season, he can work. I'm not gonna understand it probably, because that's what he said in the beginning. But he's working even in this season. Can you trust that God is working within even that season? There's a family that their son, Thorin, has Down syndrome. And for four years now, he has been celebrating his birthday with Maggie, his friend who also has Down syndrome. And when the families met, the kids were five years old. One family was walking through the school doing a tour. And, and the person leading the tour said, hey, I need you to come meet this family over here. They were walking down the hall also. Said, I think you guys will have something in common. And they got over there, and, and they could immediately see that Maggie also had Down syndrome, just like Thorin did. And they started talking, and they mentioned that Thorin's birthday was coming up. Well, so was Maggie's. And they mentioned the day, same day, same age. And when that happened, the mom of Maggie, her eyes got big, and she said, where was Thorin born? Same city. Same hospital, same day. And she said, you are the parents of the little boy that was born just after my child was born. And I, we didn't know that she was gonna have Down syndrome. 
and I was scared and it freaked me out and then I heard another child was born with it and somehow it gave me a little bit of comfort. Then the tour guide spoke up and she said, why didn't you go talk to her? And the mom of Maggie said, I tried. The mom didn't want to talk with me. And they turned to the lady and said, why didn't you want to talk to her? She said, we adopted him when he was two. We weren't there. Like we, did, we adopted the child. And this mom, Amy, the mom of Maggie said, I never thought we'd see you again. I've been looking for you, like literally looking through databases of Down syndrome kids. We've been trying to find you for five years. They have been lifelong friends since that point. You know why they ran into each other? Amy was running super late. She wasn't even supposed to be in that hallway. She was never there at that time at any other point. She was just running super late. Because even those times when it's out of our control and we are running late, things aren't what we want them to be, God can still use even those moments to do something. And he has totally changed these two families' lives because somebody was running late and brought two kids back together. Trust God with your moments, all of them. And number three, and this is where we'll end. Trust God, and I think this is the hardest, to be honest. Trust God with the decisions that you make in the moments. I believe that's where the rubber hits the road. It's the hardest part. Because as you're in whatever moment you're in, there are decisions you have to make. Have you ever been paralyzed in those moments? Have you ever been looking at the various options going, I just don't know what to do. I don't know which decision to make. Which you know, by the way, you're making a decision in doing that. Trust God with the decision. Now, hear me. I'm not saying trust the decision. Because you might make the wrong one. If I stood up here and just said, okay, well, if you just pray, and then whatever you do, you, you do, that'll be the perfect decision, I'd be lying to you. And you would make some decisions that wouldn't work out very well, and you'd think, what's going on? I'm not saying trust the decision. You may still make the wrong decision. I'm saying trust God with whatever decision you make. Because according to Romans, he works all things for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Because God uses even the times of our trials to form us and shape us and to draw us closer to him and to each other. When are you closest to God? Is it when you're hurting and confused and you don't have answers and you're constantly praying and asking and searching? Because God even uses those times Trust God with your decisions and step out in faith and make them. In 2005, I had just left the Bible church. I was a pastor at Trinity Bible Church for seven years. And I just stepped down from being a Bible church pastor. Been searching for a church. I mean, looking all over, trying to find a place because I didn't even know what I was looking for. We eventually found Christ Church in Plano. It was an Anglican church, and it had all of these things I thought were wonderful. 
And my wife and I were trying to decide, do we go here or not? Do we make this step? And I vividly remember we pulled into the super target parking lots at Park and the Toll Road. Everybody know where that's at? Pulled into this parking lot. And we're just, we're praying and we're talking and we're thinking, we're coming up with all the various scenarios. Do we make this step? And, and here's what our big struggle was. Christ Church at that point had a membership of over 3,000 people. They were doing 1,800 congregants on a weekend. They had a staff that's like the size of our church with that many pastors. And, and my wife is going, how in the world are you ever going to get involved there? You're a Bible church pastor from DTS. You have no liturgical background. You have nothing. If we go to this church, you are going to go from potentially being a pastor at a church to being somebody who's going, hi, I'm over here. I mean, somebody want to see me or use me or something. It was kind of scary. How do you move into something that big with no background? And here I am leading an Anglican church. <laughs> that was a moment where we had to make a decision. We had to step out. And I can tell you, this is not what happened. We did not take the step and then go, woohoo, blessings just poured out on us and everything was wonderful. Isn't life great? We took the step and we struggled at the church. We had a child that was diagnosed with cancer. We had all kinds of issues in employment. I mean, it was not easy. It was not a, we just stepped in and went, yes, we did exactly what God wanted and he has blessed our socks off and everything is wonderful and we are just singing all the time. We're smelling the roses even when it's cloudy outside. It's not what happened. But I'll tell you what, God used the decision. You are all here because God used the decision. It's not because of how special we, well, maybe how special Trey is, but not me. It's because God used the decision. It wasn't in ways we ever imagined. I can tell you I never imagined doing what we're doing. There wasn't a single time in the first, I don't know how many years, I ever had in my mind I'd be meeting in an elementary school with a bunch of people in an Anglican church. That never crossed my mind once. But God used the decision, and he shaped our lives because of it. Trust God with the decision that you make in the moment. All right, here it is. Ready? Hevel. According to Kohelet, there is no gain, no ultimate, permanent, lasting gain from anything that we do under the sun. Whether it's pleasure or wisdom or possessions or work or partying, it doesn't matter. He covers all of these things. And he says, you won't find what you're looking for, even to the point where he says, even time is messed up. I mean, even time drives us crazy. But here's what we can do. Number one, we can trust God with his view of time, the way it works, and we can try and live into some of that. 
Number two, we can trust that God is working in our moments, whatever those seasons are. And number three, in the midst of that season, we can trust him with the decision we make. And next week, I want to begin to tell you the positive. If everything is hevel, then what's the point? What do we do? What's the positive thing we can do? That's where he goes. He's going to give us the positive thing starting next week and then the week after that that is going to lead us right into Advent. So, daylight saving time. There's a, a false set of information out there that this had to do with agriculture, that farmers wanted this for a longer period of time. Did you know that agriculture, they're actually the ones that fought it. They are the ones that wanted it repealed because farmers and cows, like kids, don't function on a clock. They function on the sun. And so you may move my timing around, but if you make my employees start later and yet they still get off at the same time, it doesn't matter that it's light outside. They're still going home for dinner at the same time. The cows, just because you get up earlier doesn't mean they want to be milked earlier. The farmers didn't want this. They actually rallied against it. You know who wants it? Merchandise. People that are selling stuff because they want a longer period of light to sell. But it's not farmers. It's a misunderstanding that has just been propagated over and over again. Nothing you can do in this life will give you the lasting satisfaction that our world promises it will. It is a lie that has been propagated for thousands of years. It won't do it. There's only one thing that's going to give you what you're looking for. Come back next week and I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us through the challenging parts of Ecclesiastes. Lord, we want to thank you for your word, all of it, not just the parts that are exciting or uplifting, but the parts that challenge us, the parts that are difficult, even the parts we don't fully understand. Lord, this is your word. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to take away from this the way you want us to live, the way you want us to view the world, the way you want us to, to set our priorities that we might live for you in accordance with your word. We ask this in Jesus' name.